Well, I'm excited to continue our three-week series uh, entitled The Church, where we're just kind of talking about our mission, our vision, our values, and our measures. Last week, we spent uh, the time talking about our mission, to love God with all that we are while making disciples that make disciples. We kind of birthed that out of the great commandment, uh, to love the Lord to God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and then also this idea to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we, we birthed that out. We also looked at our, um, our kind of our idea of measures. How do we know that we're headed towards that direction with belong, uh, become, and beyond? And so today we're going to spend our time talking about our values at a church. Now I just want to preface with this. This is probably going to be a little more informational than inspirational, uh, but I hope that it's still transformational for you as well. And you should be proud that I made all those rhyme right there. That was pretty awesome. But that's, that's the goal, okay? And so I know some of you guys have been here for a long time and you've heard some of our values. Others of you may have been here just for a little while going, hey, what is this church actually about? And our values are a way for you to hear what we want to be about, where we want to um, kind of have motivate our, our, what we do, how we spend our money, our time, our resources, what we're trying to do in this service and with our kiddos and community groups. Uh, these inform that. And so I hope that it helps give you some insight into what we want to be about as a church, but also even, man, these are callings for us as individual believers as well. The definition of values a person's principles or standards of behaviors, one's judgment of what is important in life. Pretty much what you value informs how you behave. All right, so it's, it's gonna lead you to behave a certain way. And so here's the question I want you to just think about for a minute. If I came to you and I said, hey, what are your like top five values as a person? What would you say? What would you write down if I just said, what, what do you think you value more than anything else? Write those down. And I'm sure we would get all kinds of different answers, but more than likely for those of us that have placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, we'd say, hey, probably faith or God or Jesus is part of our values. Our family is something that we value. Our, our friendships we value, our relationships, or maybe work, I don't know. But I think sometimes when we begin to think about values, there, there's some diagnostic questions that help us really kind of get to the root of what do we value as, as people? I want to give you some of those questions, even to just put on the filter of your life this morning. What do you spend your money on? Where, where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. What do you spend your money on? But let's go a little bit further. Like, what are the things you'll spend money you don't have to get? Because I think that will probably show a little bit of your values, what you actually value. Here's another one. What things will you sacrifice? What, what priorities... Would you sacrifice in order to get something else? In other words, it's like, what do you value that you'll literally say, I'm gonna sacrifice some legitimate priorities so that I can have this? I'd say that's probably something that you're valuing pretty highly. What produces worry or angst in you if it's threatened or it begins to not go the way you want it to? Probably some things you value. Now I would hope as a people that we come in and we're just all just love Jesus so much that he is our greatest value and we're never prone to wonder. But the reality is we may begin to look and say, hey, our faith, Jesus is a value of mine. But if we kind of put it through that lens, all of a sudden we may go, man, there's, there's some areas that just constantly push Jesus to the back seat. Maybe not. Some of us may say, man, my, my family is of high value to me. 
And yet maybe we begin to look and go, hey, what actually happens in the home? Are, are, are they actually put on the back burner for the sake of work or hobbies or other interests or other things that seem important? See, we may say our values are one thing, but we might actually live completely different and our behaviors show that we are valuing something different. And so when we look at values as a church, here's my goal. It's not that we have these six words that look good and sound good and we're able to say them, but it's actually something that we do as a church. Like my, my heart from the beginning, before we ever planted, when we were meeting in my house, I was talking to the same stuff. And I said, hey, at some point, when we're two, three, four, five years old, hopefully we'll be meeting, not here, but in a building, hopefully. But people in China Spring, what are they going to say about you and I? They're not gonna, probably going to use these theological words, but would they say, hey, here's what these people value, and it line up with what we value. Here's how, here's how these people are living their life, and it line up with our mission and our values. That's my hope. The beautiful thing about values is it's kind of a way for us to go, am I on track with where I'm supposed to be? Like, am I on track on what I really want to be about? Even in our personal lives, we're able to go, here's what I value, but look, here's what gets my time, my energy, my resources. I'm sacrificing these things for this, and we're able to go, I want to realign. And so it's the same with the church. I think it's important yearly that we come and we look and we go, hey, what do we value as a church, and are we, are we living that out? Now, the good news, bad news situation for you is, uh, last year I preached through this one value a week. I fit six sermons into one sermon today, and so it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose this morning. I just want to warn you, and then I also want to introduce you to an awesome friend and family uh, that we're going to get to support in all of this. So we're just going to buckle up and we're going to jump in, and so I want to give you our first, uh, our, our six values. And so here's what we have, uh, gospel transformation, gospel proclamation, discipleship, intentional community, serving, and church planting. And so all I wanna do in the next about 15 minutes is give you kind of the biblical theological framework for why those are important to us. And so let's jump right in, the first being gospel transformation. Now, gospel transformation is the idea that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus, okay? So gospel transformation begins with salvation. It's, it's that place where you and I came to that first place where the Spirit of God kind of lifted the veil on our heart and our mind and our eyes, and we go, man, I'm separated from Jesus, my sin has, has put me in a place where I can't get back right with God. And we see that Jesus comes in all of his glory and humility and he lives perfectly on our behalf, fulfilling everything that God required for you and I to have a relationship. And then he goes to the cross for you and I, his enemy, and he dies and he's buried and he's resurrected three days. And he says, hey, those that place their faith, hope, and trust in me can have their sin forgiven and, and experience new life. This is the first transformation it happens in a moment. Like God begins to open our eyes and we go, I want Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we're literally transformed from death to life. We're, we're, dance, we're transformed from being separated to sons, uh, from an enemy to a friend. This is, this is what the Bible, the theological term would be, our justification. I've shared that with you before. It's, it's being made right with God. It's that identity that we've been talking about for weeks now. This idea that Jesus has literally given us his righteousness and taken on our sin. That when the Father looks at you and I that have placed our faith in Jesus, he sees the Son. He doesn't see you and I. We're, our old creation is dead and our new creation has come and the new creation is Christ. This is justification. This is the first transformation. But then there's this idea where we go, what happens now? Like we got saved, 
We're going to die one day and be with him and be glorified and all those things. But what about the in-between? What, what does that look like? And the theological term is sanctification. It's, it's this idea of progressive growth towards holiness. It's this idea that you and I are going to continue forever and ever and ever while we're alive, being transformed through the power of the Spirit into the image of Jesus. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18 says. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to the end. What that means is, if y'all remember, Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, beholding the glory of God. His face shone brightly. It slowly faded. He would put a veil on when he would come down the mountain so that people couldn't look at that and see that. And so he says in verse 14, the Israelites, but their minds were hardened For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. What he's saying is, listen, they missed the glory of God. Like they'd been looking for a Messiah, and he came, and they missed it. And so this veil lays over their heart that they can't behold the glory of God without Jesus. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil uh, lies over their hearts. 16, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Praise God, like if you've put your faith in Jesus, the veil was taken off of our heart, our mind, our eyes, and now we literally are able to behold, Corinthians would say like in a mirror dimly, but we're able to hold the glory of God, and it's transformative. We're able to be in his presence, to to walk with him, to understand what scripture says. And it begins to transform us. Listen, verse 17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's this idea that when we place our faith in Jesus, yes, we're justified, yes, we're transformed, but, but then there's this, this ongoing cyclical nature of us beholding the glory of God through scripture, through prayer, through all of our life being given to him, loving him with all that we have. And as we behold his glory, it transforms you and I inwardly into the image of Jesus. That we begin to look and act like Jesus. That we begin to be more concerned with who he is and what he's asking than our hearts being prone to wonder. This is the glory that comes from gospel transformation. And so, When we talk about gospel transformation as our first value, it's of most importance, I think, because everything else is like a doing. And gospel transformation is is God changing our hearts so that the doing is worship, not just some list of things to do. And so our first is gospel transformation. Uh, The next is gospel proclamation. Uh, This this has two sides to it. Gospel proclamation is the idea that we want to be gospel-centered as a church in our teaching and also that we just want to herald the gospel message. Like we want to be people that are sharing the gospel, living missionally because Jesus has changed everything for us. And so when I talk about gospel-centeredness, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10, says this when he talks about the gospel. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. So he says, this isn't just something that saved you, but it's literally what we stand on. This idea of learning 
how deep the Father's love is for us and what he has done in transforming us and purchasing us and giving us life and giving us the spirit is what we will stand on foundationally for all of life. And by which you were being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse three. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says, listen, this was taught to me by Jesus. And so now I'm sharing with you and I'm telling you this is of first importance. That Christ came, he was crucified, and he raised from the dead. And so when we teach here, when we teach your children back here, when we're in community, community groups and we're learning about the word of God or we're doing Bible studies, what we're trying to do is make known who Jesus is in everything that we're talking about. When we're looking at the Old Testament in, in, in August, we're preaching through Genesis. When we look at that, we're not just looking at Genesis, but we're trying to go, man, where's Jesus in all this? We're gonna constantly point back to the gospel because it is of first importance. That's gospel-centeredness. And as that permeates us, it transforms us. But the next is to be evangelistic in how we live our life. That God is literally placing you in places so that you can herald the gospel message. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. There's a lot here. This is Paul. And he's saying that the gospel has so transformed me that, that Jesus finding me on the Damascus road, completely transforming my life, that love and mercy and grace that he has lavished on me that now I am a son of the king. He says, this love controls me. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. But because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. What this is saying, and I love this, we've got some guys right now going through elder training. Uh, there's about five men that have kind of gone through the application process saying, hey, maybe we're, we might be called to be pastors as well alongside Matt at Wellspring Church. And so we've got the six-month training that we're in to see, hey, is God really calling you into this? And we met for our first training Thursday night. And we're reading through this book about shepherding and it says, hey, a good shepherd, a pastor, lays his life down for the sheep. That's you guys. Because that's what Jesus did, right? And so I'm looking at these men, I'm going, you're literally signing up to say for the people of Wellspring, I'll die for them, I'll put them over myself. How does that make you feel? What are your thoughts on this? Is that what you think you're signing up for? And we're going around the room and, and one, of the, one of the men says this, and I loved it. He says, when I think about that, I think about joy. I'm like, okay, dying for the sheep, joy, let, let, let's expand on that. And he says, because man, we've already died. Like we already died to Christ. My, my life is not my own. If he's calling me to go lay my life down somewhere else, it's gonna be for joy. It's gonna be for his glory and, and, and it's gonna be for my good. And so when I look at that, even though it seems hard, I'm going, man, I've already given up my rights. And that's what we've done when we come to Jesus. Literally what you said was, hey, here's everything. I'm gonna love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you get my talents, my giftings, my dreams, my resources. I'm laying it at your foot and I'm going, what do you want from my life? Because I wanna live for your glory alone. And the Bible teaches that there's joy in that. And I love what this elder said because that's what Paul's saying. He's going, man, this love and this grace has so radically transformed me that it controls every aspect. And I'm dead. Like My life is dead. 
and I'm alive in Jesus. And so whatever he's done, whatever he's calling me to, he was my example of dying to self. And so I'm gonna go and proclaim the excellencies of who he is. Verse 16, it says, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is that, that initial gospel transformation. Praise God that our old self has been done away with and there's a new self. There's a new purpose. There's a new life found in Christ. That's our hope. Hopefully that's why you're here. He's given you new life. And he continues on in verse, verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, reconciliation seems like a big word, but really all it is is restoring a broken relationship. And so scripture's teaching that in Jesus, God has reconciled you and I back to God. And now he's literally entrusted you and I with the ministry of reconciliation. That we are to go out and be ambassadors, to be the mouthpiece, to proclaim the good news that is of first importance, the gospel message that people might come to know Jesus. And it's not my job because I'm the professional uh, pastor here that I get paid to do this. It's my job because God called all of us to do it. You are literally called a minister of reconciliation. Your purpose, your life, where you'll find joy is giving your life away, dying to self, and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ in all that you do. Acts 17 says this, that he's literally given you your job, he's given you your house, your neighbors, your friends, your relationships, so they'll look to you and find Jesus. You didn't pick your job, he gave it to you. He didn't pick where you're gonna live. He, he, he gave you that home and then he put people beside you so that they might know who Jesus is. That's incredible to me. And God is the one who saves, but yet in his sovereignty, he said, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my people in charge as the mouthpiece so that people might know. That's amazing. That's a greater story than anything else you're writing for yourself. To proclaim who Jesus is for his kingdom and his glory because we have died to self. So that's gospel proclamation. Let's move to serving. And, and I just want to start here. Uh, when we look at serving, one, I just want to commend you guys. I am blown away by the amount of adults in this church that serve so that we can make what happens on Sunday mornings happen. I was talking to some of my friends this week, and I was like, man, there's like 130 people that are just constantly giving of their time and their energy so that you and I can come for two hours and our kids can be taught and that we can worship together freely. This morning, there was like a whole new handful of guys that came here at 6 a.m. and set all this up. I was like, this is beautiful. Why? Because we looked at Jesus, who was the ultimate servant. The one person in all of humanity that could have said, I'm not serving anybody. I literally spoke you into existence, and now you are my enemy because you have sinned against me. I'm not serving you. And yet, look what he does in Ephesians 2, 5 through 10. Here's what Paul would say about you and I. If the love of Christ controls us, he says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. 
the one man that could have said, nah, I literally spoke everything in existence. I'm hanging out up here. Figure it out. I'm sorry. I gave you a chance. He said, I, didn't, I don't count equality with God, something to be grasped. I'm going to literally pour myself out. I'm going to take on the form of human flesh, and I'm going to come and die and ransom my enemy back to myself that they might be reconciled. And it continues on. And being found in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. We look to Jesus as our example and we go, man, if if he can humble himself to come serve me, his enemy, and lavish on me this love and grace and mercy, give me life, that controls me. I'm dying to self. And I, and I want to serve the way he has served so that other people may exalt him as the king of glory. This is serving. The next is discipline, or discipleship. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because we talked a lot about this last week. But here's the things I want to remind you. Discipleship is this idea that we're going, hey, part of gospel transforma- transformation is renewing our mind uh, on the truths of God's word. And so we want to train ourselves up in the things of God. And as we do that, we're going to know who he is and walk deeper with him and love him greater. And so we want to be people that are not only being trained, but eventually we want to be people that train other people, right? We don't want to just go fat and happy with the knowledge of Jesus, but instead we're going, man, this is actually propelling us to now go and make more disciples. We talked about Hebrews 5, 14 last week, but solid food is for the mature, who because of their practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. There's, a, there's a, an element of training to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, that we're gonna practice the things of God, that we might have our senses trained up in who Jesus is and what he's about. I love Paul, man. He's always talking about sports and racing and the body and physical strength. And here's what he would say when it comes to this idea of training. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I'm sure no one's watching football today to try to figure out who's winning and going to the Super Bowl. But here's what's amazing to me. We're about to watch four teams today full of some of the most elite athletes in the world. And probably since junior high or before, these guys have said, hey, we're going all in to be the very best at what we're gonna do. So that one day we might have the chance to win a Super Bowl. And so here's Paul saying, listen, you've got these athletes that literally have disciplined every part of their lifestyle as far as the physical condition of their body so that they might be elite at what they do. But in the end, they get some money. We're going to pay some money to watch them. And then they get a trophy. And one day it's all going to burn up and fade. And no one's going to remember their name. No one's going to care about the Super Bowl, and no one's going to care about that trophy. And Paul's going, hey, listen, man, if literally people that that have nothing to do with God can discipline themselves and train themselves in such a way for something that fades, 
we who have seen the eternal, we who have God, are we not able to also discipline and train ourselves up in righteousness for the glory of the king so that our life is about eternal things, imperishable things? This is the calling of discipleship. Two more. The next is intentional community. Uh, We talked a lot about belonging last week. We talked about the fact that that is sometimes really messy within the church. We talked about sometimes it's really scary to give people almost like free reign at the things of your life and to see, hey, I don't have all my stuff together. And yet it's also one of the most encouraging, beautiful things that God invites us into. Right? Jesus makes us sons and daughters and then he says, now you are brothers and sisters. And so we have this opportunity then to live in relationship with one another. And it can be one of the most glorious things that the world has ever seen. In fact, Jesus says, hey, they're gonna literally, by the way you love one another, know who I am. They'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. 1 Peter 1, says this. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. I love this, man. To rely on the church is, is sometimes scary and it takes some faith, but can I tell you, I've never been loved so well as people in my church families. This is about my fourth church ever in my life. And, and every time I've never received love like I have from those that love Jesus within the church. That's what he's inviting us into when we have community. I've always said, hey, when you walk in the door, you need to be known and know somebody and what that means is that it's more than we just slap hands. It's like, hey, everything good? Yeah, great. Sunday's awesome. God's good. All that may be true. But there needs to be some people in your life when you walk in this door that they go, I know what's really going on in your life. Maybe it is all good and they celebrate that with you. Or maybe it's really, really jacked up and they're walking with you and praying with you and checking on you. Listen, we need that. But you're going to have to allow people in. But God called us into that, to love one another, to be kind, to serve one another, There's hope and joy found in the local church, being in community. And then lastly, church planting. And here's what I believe. I believe scripture is very clear that the vehicle that God uses to expand his kingdom throughout the world is the local church. We saw that in 2 Corinthians, right? We're we're his ambassadors. We are ministers of reconciliation. That's us, the church, And we see Paul going throughout all these cities and he's going and proclaiming the gospel because he was transformed by it. And then he begins to gather up people that are baptized into the church and he sets elders in place and they meet and they grow in all of these same things. They create disciples, they proclaim the gospel and then they go and replicate themselves in other places. And hopefully I don't even have to convince you much that church planting is a pretty amazing thing because you're a part of a church plant. Like I think about the fact that literally 11 months and three weeks ago, none of us were here. Not, not one of the people in this room were here. There was no covenant members. There was no community groups meeting throughout the city. We didn't have the relationship that we have now. There's been several, several people come to Christ because of what God is doing in and amongst us. I've seen kids be trained up in the word. I hope that you've been trained up in the last year. Like there's amazing things happen when the church goes forth and plants more churches. And we wanna be about this. And so here's how I wanna just quickly set this up and then I wanna introduce you to a good friend of mine. But, but there's two areas that I, when I think about us as a church supporting church planting. Uh, there's the idea of supporting 
And there's the idea of sending. Uh, and so currently we're not sending anybody yet, but in my mind, sending would be, hey, there's gonna come a day, and I'm praying for this, I hope you're praying for this, that God sends us someone internally that we go, man, this, this family or this man is called to go plant a church they're gonna handle the word of God. They're gonna handle people where we're gonna assess them. We're gonna get to know them. We're gonna love them. They're gonna be a part of who we are. And then when God is ready, he's gonna send them out through us. We're gonna be their sending church. And we're gonna go, hey, not just are we gonna help financially, but we're gonna give sacrificially. We may put some things on pause for us to help this church because that's what we believe in and we are your sending church. And we're gonna send resources. And I'm gonna ask you guys as the people of this church, man, maybe God's not calling you to go, but I would hope all of us go, man, God, am I supposed to go be a part of this? Is this maybe a new mission field? And you know what's gonna be really hard when people leave? Uh, but it's also gonna be really glorious because the kingdom of God's a lot bigger than Wellspring. And we're gonna send people out. And we're gonna be with them till the end and they're gonna be our church plant. So that's sending. And I hope that's gonna happen next two to five years. We'll see our first one, I hope. But supporting in the meantime is where we're going, hey, how can we steward our resources when we see someone that's like-minded, someone that loves Jesus, that's a part of church planting, and we want to support them. So here's a couple of things of how we're already doing that. Like, this is you guys and me. Like, we're a part of doing this already. You don't even realize it, probably, but you're literally supporting church planting all over the world already. And so this year, because of your generosity... Because already God is doing amazing things in us and been, uh, been able to bless us and entrust us with a lot. Um, one of the things we, we've done is we've said, hey, we're going to give away $36,000 this year to church planting, locally and globally, for the glory of God, which is crazy. And, and so how we're going to do that is this. Uh, we're going to give 6% of everything that comes into this church uh, to the SBTC um, cooperative program. Now, you may not know this or not, but I got assessed by them as a church planter, and then they gave me $100,000 to get us going. And so they're doing that constantly with men all over the state, and they're, they're going, man, this guy is ready, and then they're ch channeling funds that we're now giving and supporting back to go do the same thing that we're doing here. It's amazing. Acts 29, we're a part of that network as well. It was, it's, a, it's another network where I went through a lot of assessment and, and, and was looked at and gone, okay, do you fit what we're doing as a network? And really, it's cross-denominational, but it's very theologically driven. There's some, some very distinct theological doctrines that we say, we all uphold this as Acts 29 churches. And one of the biggest things is that we're saying, hey, we're gonna be a church that plants churches. And so now, this year, they just decided, the guys that go through that, we're giving them $50,000 to go start the church. I missed that by like seven months. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying I would have liked the 50K, but whatever. But hey, so we're giving 2% of our money that comes in internally to them. It's just gone for global church planning all over the world. There's just like 720 Acts 29 churches globally right now or something like that. And so I don't know if you've been here long enough. I want to introduce you to... to uh, three different people, real quick. The first is this. Uh, this is Jack and Haley. Um, if you've been here long enough, they actually, about this time last year, came uh, because they were going uh, with the IMB to plant churches in the Middle East. I can't tell you their last name. Um, we're going to have to blur this picture out if it's online uh, because they're in a place where they will lose their life if people find out that they're church planting. Um, everything they do is through like coded messages so they can't get found out what's happening there but they're very much there proclaiming the gospel in a place that could very well 
cost their life and they've said, hey, I've died to self. The love of Christ controls me. And so I want you to know that we've supported them financially, that we're still praying for them, we're still a part of what they're doing. And you need to know, hey, this is one of our church planters that we're supporting. We didn't send them, we're supporting them. You need to know this. You're a part of what they're doing in the Middle East where the gospel is going forth where there is no Christians. And it's dangerous. And so I want you praying for them. I want you remembering them. I can get you a way to contact them if you'd like. Uh, the next is this. I, I don't know how many of you guys know uh, the Miner family. Greg Miner, he's a covenant member here. Uh, we're not sending Greg and his family to go plant a church, but Greg has felt like, man, God's called me to plant. He's kind of gone through his own networks. And so he's actually planting a church called Vertical Church in Woodway. Um, and, and so he's going to start on Wednesdays having kind of a midweek Bible study. And he came to us and he said, look, I know you're not our sending church, uh, but I'm a covenant member. Uh, I think Greg loves Jesus. I think he's gonna do everything he can to proclaim the gospel. And he said, hey, can you help out in any way? And so because of what you give, we've already taken that money and we're, we're helping pay for his bill to have the YMCA and rent that for the next six months so he can start that Bible study. Be praying for Greg. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for Greg. Uh, be praying for him in Vertical Church in Woodway. That's starting this month. And then lastly, I, I want to introduce you to someone that I'm very excited to introduce you to. This is uh, Matthew Bixler. I'm going to ask him to come on and make his way up here as I kind of tell you quickly how I know Matthew. Um, before I ever moved here, I, I called Grace uh, Waco, which is an Acts 29 church here in town. And I said, hey, do you know anything about China Spring? And they said, you probably need to talk to Matthew Bixler. And I was like, cool. Um, hey, Matthew, do you know anything about China Spring? Could it like hold a church plant? I Googled China Spring. There was a goat picture that came up. Uh, who lives here? Are there people there? I've just seen the goat. Um, and that's, that's for real. I was in a meeting and they were like, what's China Spring? I was like, oh, Google it. And they were like, dude, there's a picture of a goat. But anyway, we probably need to fix that as a community. Uh, anyway. And so reach out to Matthew. Uh, he drives to DFW with some of the elders of Grace and we get to know each other and we're saying, hey, we're gonna be a sister Acts 29 church. And he goes, man, China Spring, he lives in China Spring, goes to Grace Waco in town. He's like, man, China Spring's amazing. The people are amazing. Uh, the town needs uh, more churches. It's just growing like crazy. And, and so through that, that's part of really literally how we ended up here. And as we got here, Grace Waco and Matthew being a part of that, um, just over and abundantly loved us, was hospitable to us. I don't know if you've ever noticed our kids' trailer that's always parked back there has grace written on the side of it and there's a sticker that's gone. They gave us that trailer. They said, we don't have a lot of finances, but take our, take our equipment. And so they give us a trailer. And then the first week I'm here, literally they're coming and they're giving our family food and they don't even know me. And, and Matthew was actually leading a small group in China Spring with a group of China Spring people. And here's how mission-minded our, our Acts 29 sister churches are. Matthew's sitting with them, they're going, hey, look, there's a new church coming, um, and they're going to be Acts 29, they're going to be in China Spring. Maybe since we live here, we should think about leaving the place we love and possibly going to help plant this church. And out of that, there's a family that's been here since my house that has served just so faithfully to us, that's been on our financial advisory team that came from Grace Waco, just going, hey, we want to give you our people too. If this is about the gospel and we're theologically aligned, we want to help. And so one, Matthew has been a huge influence on us. Uh, he's been a, just a, a friend, someone I've met with a lot, someone I trust. And so just a little bit about him, he's gonna come and share what, what God's calling his family to go do. And we're gonna partner with them as a church. And here's what I believe. 
um, as I've gotten to know this family, uh, as people stand on this stage, hopefully like you trust enough that we've vetted and gone, man, this is a place as we steward our finances for these people, for the gospel to go forth, it's gonna just be multiplied in powerful ways for the glory of God. And so I, I just wanna introduce Matthew Bixler to you as he comes and shares for about 10 minutes just who he, where he's going, what they're about to be about, and then I'll share a little bit about how we're supporting them and how we can continue to support them. So Matthew, come on. Thanks, man. Good morning, everybody. Grace and peace to you from your brothers and sisters at Grace Church. Um, it is a joy to be here. It's so encouraging to see, like what Matt was talking about, just how in the last year uh, this church uh, has grown. So you guys are an encouragement to us. So thank you for that, and thank you for giving me uh, this opportunity to come and share a little bit about myself and my family, um, who I, I'd like to uh, introduce to you just briefly. I think there is, there we go, there's a picture of us, and this is a, a picture we adopted our youngest about a year and a half ago, actually, I remember sitting in Matt's family and getting phone calls from the Colombian Embassy about trying to get flights down there in the midst of a pandemic and, and how crazy that was, um, but this is our family here, um, my name's Matthew, like I said, I'm not that interesting, uh, from Michigan, yeah, uh, graduated high school, did some time in the Marines, ended up at college in Virginia where I met my wife, Amanda, who grew up in California. We've been married uh, almost 13 years, and these are our four kids here, our son, Wellesley, in the back, and then our daughters um, from left to right, Avelyn, Miliana, and Jovella. So that is our family. We've been here in Waco for about seven years. And yeah, as Matt said, we are going to be, Lord willing, moving to England uh, this coming summer. So I want to tell you a little bit about why we're doing that, where we're going, and what we're going to be doing. The main question is, why would you do that? And I think, as Matt uh, talked about this morning, I don't want to cover a whole lot of that ground again, but in our ultimate mission here is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And we look at um, 1 Peter 2, and we see that we've been saved. Now we're part of God's people, and we join our king in his kingdom work. And so it, uh, a great way to think about missions to, to kind of paraphrase how the pastor is, that missions is not something that God sends his people out to do, but it's something that God is already doing, and he's now called us to join him in that work. And so we believe, uh, like you, that church planting is at the heart of that. And we also believe, like in Romans 10 it tells us, starting in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And this isn't just like the literal feet of the people who are going to preach that good news, but this is the work of the church. All of us together, as we're all engaged in mission together, it's a calling that we all share. Some of us are going, a lot of us are sending, but we're all involved in that together. And so where God has opened up a door for our family to be sort of specifically faithful to that general calling or that general mission he's given all of us, is to move this summer to continue the work of church planting in places where there are no healthy churches to proclaim Jesus where he's not named or known. And so we're going to be moving. Oh, let me, let me stop for a second. If you want to, pull out your cell phone right now. Scan that QR code. And this afternoon when you go home, there's a couple of videos and things that you can get a better visual of what I'm about to describe for you. So if you want to, 
Matt may never ask you to pull out your cell phone, but go ahead and pull out your cell phone and, and scan that QR code. But we are going to a region of northern England called the Peak District. The Peak District. And we're going to be moving to the only town in the Peak District called Bakewell. Now, to describe the Peak District to you a little bit, the, the best word to describe it is beautiful. Okay, if you look at a postcard of England, this is what you will see. Rolling hills, beautiful views, small villages, sheep and cows, all those kinds of things. Uh, but that beauty is contrasted by the spiritual darkness that exists there. Let me kind of give that to you in tangible terms. The Peak District is six times the size of the Greater Waco area. So a pretty big area. Six times the size of Greater Waco. And in that space, there are about 40,000 people living. So it's fairly sparsely populated. And the best estimate is that less than one half of one percent of those people are Christians. So that means there are more or less as many Christians right here in this room as there are in the Peak District, the size, a place that's like six times the size of Greater Waco. So the need there is not that Christians would just kind of boldly share their faith with their neighbor. The, the reality there is that people are born there, they grow up and they die without ever even knowing a Christian. And it's crazy for us to think about that because we think of England and places like that as like these Christian nations, right, that they brought Christianity here. And here, especially in central Texas, it's hard for us to picture that kind of an environment or that kind of a need because we have full churches on every corner, every Sunday. And it seems like whenever you meet someone, you're asking them where do they go to church and they have an answer for it. That's just not the reality of where they are in England and particularly um, here in the Peak District. <laughs> So our family will be moving there to initially partner with a church, another Acts 29 church called Peak Trinity Church. That church was planted there about three years ago in Bakewell with the mission and the vision to bring the gospel back to the villages of the Peak District, to Bakewell, and around the world from there. And one of the things that's really cool about our family being able to go there is that Grace Waco and Grace Church in Hewitt have actually been partnering with and supporting this church for about six years now, and I have known Rob, the pastor there, for about seven years. So it's a place we know very well, people that we know very well, and it's exciting to see how that partnership kind of grows and expands over time, and we look forward to seeing how it will continue to do that and give us all uh, more opportunities to partner and send and to reach more people um, with the gospel. Um, so we're going to be moving there to uh, plant our lives within that church, within that community, and share the gospel alongside them. And the, the situation there is that the ground, to kind of borrow that, that biblical language, the ground there is very hard. So they've been living there now almost eight years, and at that time they've seen two people come to faith. They've seen two ladies come to faith. Amanda, about seven years ago, and Sue, just a few months ago. Both of these ladies, wives and mothers, their families have not come to faith. So you know, it's just, for Christians there, it can be very isolating, very lonely, it's a very challenging environment. Um, but their, their um, pace of evangelism, you know, they would call it low-key, highly relational, long-term evangelism. So when you are not from an area like that, you're immediately an outsider. It takes years just to build up trust with people. That's something we're going to have to walk through. Um, we were talking to a guy that was involved early on in the church plant named Farmer Steve. Right? I was asking Farmer Steve... You know, how long have you been here? He's got like that really particular farmer accent in northern England. And he was telling us how his family, I'm about to get a little nerdy on you, but his family is marked down as having farmed and owned the same land in the Doomsday Book, 
which is a survey of land taken a thousand years ago in, in England. So that's what they're talking about. We've got roots in this area. They're talking about centuries and beyond a thousand years. And for us, we're like, oh, my grandpa moved here. Um, so it's a little bit different in that. Um, but that's the environment where they are. It's hard to reach people. It's a long-term investment, and we want to um, join them in that. And so we're here this morning, and number one, we're just so thankful for your partnership with us already. So I want to just say thank you to all of you. Thank you for giving me even just this opportunity to share. But we want to invite you to partner with us. And that can look like a number of things. So what we're really trusting God for is that he's going to bring together a team of partners with us who are going to lift us up in prayer, walk alongside us with encouragement, and also help provide for our needs through financial support. And if that's something that you would like to come alongside us and do, we would love to have you um, join us in that. Again, we're looking for people to join us. We're trusting God with all of the dollar amounts and things like that. Right now, just to give you an update of where we are, we're working towards raising $8,000 per month to send us and keep us in England or wherever God would have us long term. As of today, we've raised about $5,000 of that $8,000. So there's a, there's a particular... Um, opportunity for you to say, I've got this sort of general concern for missions, and here's a specific opportunity for you to partner with us in that way. And however you'd like to partner with us, you can shoot me a text with an email address, we can add you to our up update list, we can meet with you, all those things, but we want to ex extend an invitation to you to consider what would it look like for you to partner with us in this particular mission. But hear me when I say this, because there's, there's, there's one thing I can share with you this morning. It is that the best way for you to partner with us and show your concern for missions is not to empty out your bank account and support us. The number one thing that you can do to support the mission of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ is to dive deep into the community of Wellspring Church, to become covenant members, and walk in the fullness of what that means. So you're showing up here every week, you're in deep community together, you're giving, you're serving, you're praying for your pastors and for each other, and by doing that, you create the environment where all these values that you've been talking about this morning, that you can live out all of those things, and that will compel us as the people of God, as our community grows and deepens, that will compel us to, to go outward with that, to engage in sharing our faith in church planting. So I want to just encourage you, if you're anything from me this morning, is to dive deep here in Wellsburg. So I'm going to be here um, after the service. I'll hang out for a little bit. If you want to come talk, ask any questions, um, I would love to do that. Or if you want to email us, text us, whatever it is, we would love to, to get in touch and partner with you in the Riverway God Man. So again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, and so you may be asking the question, well, how are we partnering with him as a church? Again, this kind of goes back to the fact that you have already been generous uh, and how you're uh, committed to Wellspring. And, and we want to, as the pastors of this church, steward our resources well. Uh, and so what we've done, you've heard that he's trying to raise 8000 He's at 5000 uh, as a young church. And we're, we've got several percentages going out, I told you. But part of that 36000 is we've committed 3000 to the Bixlers this year. And so really that, that equates to about $250 a month. Um, but we're already doing that because of your generosity. Um, here's what I would say, man. When, when we're talking about uh, people that we trust and people that are going to be a part of Sister Acts 29 churches, that's why I'm giving him a, a moment to come and share his story where you may pray and go, hey, as a family, we want to help 
see more of that happen for him. And I want to invite you to do that. Like I said, it would be uh, money that you use that's stewarded and multiplied for the kingdom in great ways. And so I do, he's going to be at the connection table at the back. Um, if you want to go and just, at a minimum, go and just encourage him, say hello to him, be praying for their families that go to a really hard place to plant a church. Um, Bakewell, England is going to be a little different than China Spring uh, and, and probably look a little different than starting a church in the school uh, after you've lived there for six months. And so well, here's how I want to end today. Uh, I want to pray a blessing over Matthew and his family to ask you to just join in that. Uh, and then we'll have a little time of response before uh, we head out today. So let's pray together. God, I do thank you uh, for the Bixler family. I thank you for how they've encouraged us. Uh, you, you used them and your sovereignty to actually be a part of why this church exists here today. And so I'm grateful for that. And um, God, I do pray that you would provide uh, abundantly more than they could think, imagine, or ask. Uh, God, I pray that as they are preparing for this journey to uproot their kiddos and, and go to a place that's completely different, um, but to answer this call of being a minister of reconciliation, to be your ambassador in their context, is to go to England to do that. And so, God, I'm praying for protection and wisdom. I'm praying um, just that you would use them to uh, proclaim the gospel, that they would see uh, fruit just begin to yield in that, that only you can do. And so I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their their desire to be obedient and answer, answer the call because, uh, the love of Christ controls their hearts and their lives. And so um, thank you for an example for us of what it means to uh, just go all in for you. And so, God, I pray that as a church we would support them, love them, care for them, pray for them, and come alongside them. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.